Hey everyone, welcome to the latest episode of the Dental Assistant Nation podcast powered by Ignite DA. My name is Kevin Henry, the co-founder of Ignite DA as well as the editor-in-chief for drbycuspid.com. And thank you wherever you found us, whether it was through Dr. By Cuspid, whether it was through Google, Amazon, my goodness, anywhere you get your podcasts, we are there and we're bringing you some of the best guests in the dental space. And that includes a dear friend and a... Uh, I'm just going to say a regular contributor to the DA Nation podcast, and that's our friend Tom Viola. Tom, what's going on, my friend? So yeah, Kevin, thank you so much for the opportunity to be part of this podcast. You know, I love all the feedback I get from all of the people who listen. They're amazing in the questions they ask me. They reach out to me on my website. They reach out to me on social media. And I'm always able to give them the information that uh, they want because they ask such great questions. And, and really, that's, that's what's so rewarding to me. So today, I thought we'd talk about something that uh, you and I have spoken about briefly, and that is coding. So what do you think, Kevin? I'm going to put turn the tables on here. What do you think uh, most people know about coding? You know, very little. I can tell you the one thing I know about coding is that I don't handle it well, personally. Uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't treat me very well, so I always stay away from it any time that I, I get to that point where I might need it. But, uh, you know, I, I want to hear more from from dental pharmacology expert about it. You know, my gosh, uh, that's the extent of my knowledge right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what is it about coding that makes it the kinder, gentler opioid? You know, there's so much attention has been focused on oxycodone uh, because of the, uh, the national lawsuits that have been filed and, and against the makers of oxycontin, and that's, that's got gone on a lot of uh, attention. And hydrocodone, because hydrocodone seemed to be uh, a favorite amongst people who used opioids recreationally. But codeine always seems to fly under the radar. Codeine always seems to be, you know, that that other opioid. And I know a lot of dentists like to prescribe codeine. They like to prescribe Tylenol with codeine. And, and so we've got to ask ourselves why. Why is codeine, you know, so st still so popular? Well, the first thing about codeine everybody needs to realize is codeine is not a drug. Not in the strictest sense. Codeine is a prodrug. And what that means, if you remember this from pharmacology, is that codeine on its own doesn't do anything for you. It needs to be metabolized in your liver by the CYP2D6 enzyme to morphine. And once it's converted to morphine, then it actually has pain-relieving effects. So to reiterate, codeine on its own gives you no benefit but constipation. Uh, <laughs> morphine is, is the active uh, piece that actually does the job. Okay, so why do docs like to write it? Because I think they realize that the conversion of codeine to morphine is a, is a pretty slow but reliable process. You don't get a lot of morphine out of each codeine tablet. So it's enough to treat, you know, moderate to severe pain, but it's not going to be something that would necessarily cause some of the more egregious side effects that we'd see with hydrocodone and oxycodone. Plus, Tylenol codeine is a Schedule Three controlled substance, which means you can call it in in some states. You can write for refills in some states. So it's a little less restrictive in, in prescribing for some docs and, and depending on the state you live in. Okay, so with that as, as it may, the problem with codeine is the fact that it is converted to morphine. And that problem is most likely to happen in children. So what happens with children? Well, you know, I love children as much as anybody else. I have two uh, children of my own, but I like to call them aliens. And uh, my, my students often say, why do you call them aliens? As in like Martians, but why? 
because when they're young, when you know under the age of let's say ten or eleven, they really don't metabolize drugs the way we do. As a matter of fact, uh, their volumes of distribution, their absorption, their distribution, their their metabolism, and their excretion can be different from us. So, in my opinion, they might as well be from Mars. Yep. And so we have to treat them as such to remind ourselves, okay, they're not little adults. We've got to give them the right medications that are right for them in the right doses. And that means, you know, to give that that overall impression to my students, I say, think of them as Martians, okay, aliens. They don't, they're not metabolizing and processing drugs like we do until maybe they're in their mid-teens or even in their 20s. Well, the FDA is in agreement with me on that. They don't call them aliens, but they say, uh, <laughs> they say, don't give codeine to children under the age of 12. But why? Well, because children and their metabolism of codeine is unpredictable. And so some kids metabolize the codeine too well and end up getting more morphine than we expected. And therefore, they end up getting more respiratory depression. Wow. So that was the FDA's concern. And that's why, for the most part, in 2018, we stopped prescribing codeine for kids. Well, maybe I'm just a big kid then that it doesn't it doesn't do well for me. I don't know. You know, I've been called childlike in good and bad ways before. So so, so that's good to know about kids. And I, I love the thought about treating them like Martians, you know, uh, and because they act like that sometimes as well. But, <laughs> yep. but also for, for those adults like me that maybe codeine isn't a good choice and maybe they don't want to go down the, the, op- the opioid trail. What are some options then uh, for me if, if you're asking my medical history? And I, I mentioned that. Well, that's a very good point because Viola, you just talked about children, but there's plenty of adults that don't like codeine and don't do well with it. Why not? Well, as it turns out, children have their own issues, right? Because of their maybe overactive CYP2D6 enzyme, but some adults don't make enough of the enzyme. So therefore they can't break the codeine down into morphine and therefore don't really get much pain relief at all. So you've got that issue to contend with. And then you've got those folks who don't make enough of the enzyme, don't break down the codeine into morphine, and yet think it's the best thing since sliced bread. Why? Well, for many people, it's placebo. You know, the the bottle says codeine, therefore it must work great, even if they really don't have enough of the enzyme to make it work. Got it. Okay, so give me some options, Tom. I mean, what if I can't use Cody? Okay. Well, the reason I think that's a great question, Kevin, is because the FDA is now actually, uh, as of this week, uh, putting out feelers to healthcare professionals saying, we might consider authorizing the use of codeine in children again, as long as we can genotype them and make sure that they do have a normal functioning CYP2D6 enzyme. Okay, so that's one possibility that kids might be able to use codeine, but give me some options. Okay, on its own, codeine is a fairly good pain reliever. Mm-hmm. But as I've said many times on this podcast and elsewhere, you know, the best thing we can do is ibuprofen and acetaminophen yep. in combination. Uh, we don't have to use an opioid, 
we don't have to you know delve into that realm we can treat treat most dental pain with 600 milligrams of ibuprofen and 500 milligrams of acetaminophen taken together four times a day it's very important though for everyone who's listening to realize that there are going to be times when an opioid is just required period when you've got severe pain Ibuprofen and acetaminophen just won't cut it. You do need an opioid. Okay, so maybe that's codeine or maybe that's hydrocodone or oxycodone. But the bottom line is, if you need pain relief, then you have to be able to have something in place just in case. And then that's case, it would be some type of opioid. I'm still going to say codeine is, is something to rely on as a, an alternative. But if you can't take codeine, the next bet would be maybe something like tramadol. Now, I'm not a big fan of tramadol, and I don't like to put my opinion out there to override anybody else's. I just think tramadol makes people feel a little weird when they take it because it interferes with serotonin in their brain, Okay, which is great. That's how it works. But uh, the downside is people feel a little loopy when they take it, and that's completely understandable. Yeah. Um, the other thing then, therefore, is if your patients can take codeine, then you may want to try hydrocodone. Not everyone has a problem with hydrocodone if they take codeine. However, there is the issue of allergy. So if you're allergic to codeine, if you, I mean, I mean truly allergic, you've had, you know, anaphylaxis, then you can't use tramadol because it's an opiate and you can't use hydrocodone or oxycodone or any other opioid either because you, there's a good chance of cross sensitivity. Okay. It's, and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but I remember you and I talking on a recent podcast about that, that, you know, opioids aren't all bad and, and how that we've got to remember that, you know, they don't all wear a little black hat. Uh, you know, that there is still a use for opioids in dentistry. And to me, it sounds like this is a case where if I come into your practice and I need something and, and codeine does not work on me, it's a possibility that that could be the option. Absolutely. And, you know, not everybody can take NSAIDs and not everybody can take acetaminophen. And um, the other big thing with the opioids in dentistry uh, is that every opioid analgesic we use in dentistry contains acetaminophen. So it's a big concern for us because you're not just prescribing the opioid, you've always got the add-on, in this case, acetaminophen. And if the patient's taking other forms of acetaminophen along with the opioid we prescribe, that can easily add up quickly to the 4,000 milligram limit. So we've got to be careful about how we prescribe these opioids. I've always said, and I'll continue to say it, it you have to prescribe for the smallest amount of doses, for the smallest you know, effective dose, and the smallest amount of time. We want to get opioids in and get them out quickly, no more than maybe six or 10 tablets per script. And that way, you know, there's not, less doses left over, so kids can't get their hands on them. So there's a whole you know, mantra to how you prescribe opioids, which makes sense. It's, good, it's best practices. But as, I, as you said, Kevin, I'll, I'll repeat it. There's always going to be a place for opioids in dentistry. And, you know, and all these things that interact with each other, all these things that we've got to make sure that the patient is on the same page as the practitioner whenever it comes to prescribing them. You know, I'll, I'll be honest, Tom. You know, and, and again, I, I've never worked in a dental practice. Let's make that very clear. But, you know, before you and I really started talking about this stuff, I had no idea. And, and I think so many patients walk into a practice and they don't realize 
that they should be talking to you and they should actually be saying, I'm allergic to this. This has given me problems in the past because that's the baseline that you build everything off of. Oh, couldn't agree more. And, and that's why the medical history is so important. And one thing that's really changed over the last, I would say, two years since most of the states now in, enacted some form of legislation mandating opioid education, part of that education is it is now mandatory in a lot of states for the prescriber to educate the patient on the risks of opioid use, the risks of uh, potentially respiratory depression, addiction, how to keep uh, unused doses safe and out of the reach of children. All of that, plus more, was really always in the realm and under the, in the responsibility of the pharmacist. But now most states are mandating that it's a requirement of the prescriber at the time of prescribing to give that education to the patient. So if you're not really familiar with that as a prescriber right now, or if you're a dental assistant who works in an office where your doc does prescribe opioids, this is your opportunity to, to you know, attend some courses, figure out what you're supposed to say to a patient, you know, exactly what education you need to give them, what kind of warnings you need to give them and, and, and counseling so that they leave the office as educated as possible. Yes, they'll probably get it again from the pharmacist, but if you're not telling them in some states now, that's a violation of the law. Great point. Great point. And I know some of you out there are thinking, ah, how does this apply to me? I don't know some of this. I'm, I, maybe I need a, a brush up, uh, you know, no pun intended on this. Uh, you know, uh, Tom, I, I know you have some good resources that can certainly point some people in the right direction. Oh, yeah. And, and that's absolutely fine. If anybody wants to take the courses on my website, they can. I have uh, about 20 courses up there right now that are all uh, online, on demand. You can take them anytime you like. Uh, for on-demand CE credits, you get a certificate immediately. But it's not just for the CE. It's really just to learn you know, what you need to say and not say to a patient who's taking opioids. So find me on my website. It's uh, TomViola.com. And uh, find me on social media. It's uh, Pharmacology Declassified, Facebook, Instagram, you know, look me up and I'd be happy to give you any information you need. And and I can tell you, Tom is a wealth of information. Uh, you know, I've, I've listened to him. I know countless members of our Dr. By Cuspid uh, subscriber list have, as well as many uh, listeners of the Dental Assistant Nation podcast. We're always glad to have you on, Tom. Thanks so much for talking to us today, man. And uh, looking forward already to the next time we get together. It's always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much. You bet. And thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of the Dental Assistant Nation podcast. We always love when people like Tom come on to talk to us about things that are happening in the dental industry, things that impact your business, things that impact your practice, and things that impact your patients. So very important. Uh, so thank you again for now, Kevin Henry, the co-founder of Ignite DA and editor-in-chief for Dr. By Cusbud, signing off, wishing you a great day ahead. Together we rise.